1: behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.
2: From KQED.
1: This
3: is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. There's been a surge of unaccompanied minors arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border, seeking asylum in the United States. That's created a humanitarian crisis and raised an urgent and practical question. Where to safely house the children? In San Diego, officials say they'll offer some help. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler has more.
4: Over 5,000 children are currently being kept in ill-equipped Border Patrol facilities. Now, several hundred of those children will be taken to San Diego, where the city's unused convention center will be turned into a temporary shelter. San Diego Board of Supervisors Chairman Nathan Fletcher said the plan came together over the weekend after new Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra directly asked the county for help. I mean, these are children.
5: And just as we would want for any of our children to do everything we can uh, to ensure a safe uh, and compassionate Uh, location to help facilitate them through what is a very difficult uh, time in their lives.
4: The facility will be operated and paid for by the federal government, which estimated that 90% of these unaccompanied children are trying to reunite with relatives or sponsors in the United States. County officials say the site will be used for approximately three months and that they expect the average stay for each child will be 30 to 35 days. An opening day for the shelter has not yet been set. But the children aren't the only asylum seekers entering San Diego under the Biden administration. Since the beginning of March, Jewish Family Service of San Diego says it has assisted more than 1,700 asylum seekers, including families and individuals, as compared to 490 migrants served for the month of February. These asylum seekers stayed in local hotels for a few short days before traveling to other destinations in the country. For The California Report, I'm Max Robin in San Diego.
3: Utility giant Pacific Gas and Electric will be back in court in San Francisco this morning for a hearing that could determine the size of future wildfire safety power shutoffs. The hearing comes a day after CAL FIRE announced the utility's infrastructure was responsible for igniting one of last year's large and deadly wildfires. KQED's Dan Brecky reports.
0: Last September's deadly Zog fire in Shasta County started when a tall pine tree fell across a PG&E power line. The fire started during a siege of windy weather that prompted PG&E to shut off power to parts of 15 counties, but not to the area where the fire started. U.S. District Judge William Alsup is overseeing PG&E's criminal probation for violating pipeline safety laws. As a new condition of probation, he wants the company to consider the presence of certain classes of hazardous trees, including trees tall enough to fall across power lines, when it decides the scope of future preemptive shutoffs. But state officials, including the California Public Utilities Commission, oppose Alsup's proposal. They argue it will dramatically increase the number in size of future blackouts and pose new risks to public safety. AllSIP is holding a hearing on the issue and other probation proposals this morning with no date set yet for imposing new probation conditions. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. And we're going to stay on the
3: topic of California wildfires. In all, last year's record breaking blazes scorched more than 5 million acres and destroyed more than 10,000 homes and other structures. As we look ahead to this year's fire season, what kind of blazes are possible and what are California's firefighters doing to get ready? I talked about these issues with the state's top firefighter, Tom Porter, the chief of CAL FIRE, who offered a sobering assessment.
5: Well start out by saying every year in California has the potential to be a destructive fire season. But this year, uh, we're looking at a situation where our water supply and snowpack in in particular are not up to what we would like to see. They're below average, quite a bit below average, actually, even with the, the recent storms. And this year has all of the elements to uh, really put us in a situation where we could be battling um, blazes that are uh, very similar to what they were in 2020 uh, or even uh, 2017, 18, uh, those years where we've had some really extreme fire activity across the state.
3: So you lay out a possibly frightening fire season in the months ahead. I know you probably don't want to pick particular spots on the map of California and say place X, Y or Z is especially threatened. But are there places that worry you for their fire vulnerability this year?
5: Sure. And, and I'll, I'll couch this with something that I say frequently and I wholeheartedly believe uh, every acre in California can and will burn someday. So communities across the state are in peril throughout the, the sierras throughout the northern california forest ranges and into the foothills in southern california in the bay area and coastal range there are communities in all of those areas that are in in peril if the wrong fire starts at the wrong
3: time that's sobering and what about cal fire itself are your firefighters as prepared as they can be for what might come this year
5: we are uh, we, this is the time of year when we do our training and we do our prescribed burning and fuels project work, which all keeps us tuned up and, and sharp. But I think there's another piece to this that is every, every Californian has the ability to do something to help. And for local homeowners, business owners, they should really be looking at things that they can do at their place of residence, their place of work to harden their structures and to really reduce the risk and increase the resiliency of California overall.
3: I guess the big idea is don't wait for the wildfires to actually start to get prepared.
5: Absolutely. This is preparation season. This is the time to do it. Do it before the grass turns brown uh, because this is the time that we all can make a difference.
3: Tom Porter, chief of Cal Fire, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report all thank you very much
6: i am sasha Coca, host of the california report magazine every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant diverse golden state because what happens in california changes the world i love this place we were once seen as like the place to be california
3: Over the weekend, jobless Californians who couldn't get online to certify their unemployment claims turned to social media to vent their frustrations. Their target was California's Employment Development Department, the state agency that handles unemployment. It blamed the problems on equipment glitches. With more, here's The California Report's Mary
2: Franklin Harvin. First, let's start with the backlog. Late last week, EDD reported over a million people waiting for the seventh week in a row. Next, working through the 1.4 million claims the agency froze for suspected fraud late last year. We learned in February that EDD had cleared around 400,000, but that leaves over 900,000 that could still be in limbo. On a media call earlier this month, EDD's Lori Levy was asked whether the agency had made any progress on those claims.
7: We need to kind of get in and look at all those numbers and get that analysis complete so we can get you some good solid numbers.
2: EDD is now saying it will wait to provide that update until it has finished reviewing all remaining claims from this group. At the same time, countless Californians have reached the one-year mark on their regular unemployment insurance claims, which means they have to refile their applications while the system is already overloaded. Still, that's not all. While so many Californians struggle just to verify their claims, EDD has a whole new layer of logistics to contend with, as it works to distribute stimulus funds across its applicant pool, a task the agency says could take until mid-April, if not later. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin.
3: The City of Oakland and Marin County are expected to move forward today on new pilot programs aimed at giving some of their residents a guaranteed income. Oakland officials will be providing details on their program later this morning. They say it will be one of the largest universal basic income programs in the country, distributing monthly payments to hundreds of residents. Meanwhile, in Marin, the County Board of Supervisors is set to vote today on whether to approve funding for a similar project. As part of the Marin program, 125 low-income women would receive $1,000 a month for two years. If approved, the program would launch in May. The plans are similar to the experiment launched in Stockton in 2019, which gave randomly selected residents $500 a month for two years. A study of Stockton's program found that participants had improved financial stability and overall well-being. About three weeks ago, we reported on Governor Gavin Newsom's plan to prioritize COVID vaccines for people in poor and underserved communities in the state. So, what's happened since? In the San Joaquin Valley, Maddie Bolaños of Valley Public Radio checked in with community organizations offering vaccination assistance.
7: Hello. Hi. Hi. Can I leave you with a
6: flyer? That's Madeline Harris with the Leadership Council for Justice and Accountability. Today, she's knocking on doors in Fairmead, a small community in Madera County, to let residents know about a mobile vaccine clinic coming to the town. She stops outside Mary Ann Moore's home.
7: Uh, we're just handing out flyers about a vaccine clinic so, like, they're going to do at the school on Sunday. On Sunday? Mm-hmm. Do you have an have appointment? Or? No, it's on-site registration, and it's for people who are food and ag workers.
6: As she so, wedges a flyer through someone's front gate, Harris says residents in communities like Fairmead face a lot of challenges signing up for the vaccine. And a lot of people who are at work when these, you know, links are posted or who
7: don't have internet access or use computers or speak English, aren't able to get those appointments.
6: So going door-to-door eliminates some of those barriers, she says. Despite the state's efforts to reduce disparities in vaccination rates, just 21% of all 14.8 million vaccinations administered to date have gone towards Black and Latino communities. These new initiatives are welcome, Harris says, but they are just one step in the process. She says health officials should continue working with grassroots organizations to reach the people that have been most impacted by COVID.
7: If local
6: governments
7: are going to utilize their existing channels of communications or existing infrastructures to do a project as big as vaccinating the entire, you know, eligible population who wants the vaccine, then the same institutional racism that's embedded in those institutions is going to replicate itself
6: with vaccine distribution. (laughs) <laughs> in Orange Cove, a rural city in the far east corner of Fresno County, another community organization is helping residents with the vaccine process. So
7: Cultiva La Salud is here at the Orange Cove High School at this beautiful day, uh, helping to register community residents.
6: Genoveva Islas is director of Cultiva La Salud, an organization that spent the last year helping Spanish-speaking residents navigate the pandemic. She says sometimes she'll send organizers to local grocery stores or food distribution events in the days leading up to the mobile clinic.
7: It's a great way to capture people, right? And to announce, hey, you're here to pick up food today, but if you're also interested in this vaccine and you're eligible, call this number and we'll help register you.
6: She says the majority of people she's spoken to in rural areas in the San Joaquin Valley are interested in getting the vaccine. Yet many have limited access to health care. So mobile vaccine clinics in areas like these are crucial, she says.
7: We don't have the great public transportation from our county rural communities to the center of Fresno. So coming out and doing these uh, mobile clinics, I think, is the other benefit that people do uh, like and want to take
6: advantage of. That's why, she says, it's a good thing that Newsom is prioritizing vaccinations for underserved communities. She says local organizations are now vaccinating more people.
7: These are the same communities who have consistently been putting their lives at risk for us, right, as farm laborers. And so um, that feels like
6: the right and fair thing to do. She says local organizations will continue working with vaccine providers to bring mobile vaccine clinics to communities that need them. For the California Report, I'm Mari Bolaños.
3: And that is the California Report for Tuesday, March 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles.
0: Thanks so much for listening
3: and have a great
0: day. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCoie.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt. Whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com.
3: with an S, thanks.